The key is to speak the language of your respective counterpart. Typically, you have a different conversation whether you talk to an engineer versus a financial analyst versus a salesperson. In the end, communication starts with being a good listener and really getting into a dialogue. This applies to both internal and external communication. Communication is a really great possibility to build trust. Risk, of course, is that you can destroy everything if you if you don't do it right. Welcome to the 100th episode of Speak Like a CEO. Today, Lena and Oliver talk to Nina Pütz. Previously with Brand for Friends, Nina is now CEO of RatePay. The fintech offers customized white-label payment solutions. She talks about how to build relationship as a new CEO in a lockdown situation, her communication style, why personal branding matters, even if it is actually really good that the leading B2B player is invisible for customers, how company culture has shifted, women in leadership, and about the challenges ahead. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of Speak Like a CEO. My name is Lena Carlson and I'm here with Oliver Oust. Hey, Oliver. Hey, Lena. With retail e-commerce up 30% in 2020, it's the ideal time to be working in fintech. And for us, it's the ideal time to talk to someone who knows e-commerce and online payments better than almost anyone. Our guest today is Nina Putz. She joined RatePay last September as CEO. And Nina draws on 15 years of experience in companies such as eBay and Brands for Friends. Now, as you probably know, RatePay is one of the giants in the fintech sector with billions in revenue and products and services that most of us have used many times, often without realizing it. Welcome, Nina. Hello. Happy to be here. Happy to have you on the podcast. So for dedicated listeners, um, they might remember that quite some months ago now, we actually had Miriam Wolfarth on the uh, podcast, and at the time, she was the CEO of RatePay. So now we have you as the CEO of RatePay, and I'd love you to talk us through that journey and how that came to be. Yeah, so actually, Miriam reached out to me early last year and asked me whether I would be interested um, to join RatePay. And at that time, I was leaving Brands for Friends. So we started talking and I'm so thrilled that I've decided to join RatePay. And I deliberately took my decision based on the really great values that are existed in that company. So it's not only the product that I think is really cool, but it's also a very special company with regards to values that are lived. What does RatePay do exactly and how do people use it and encounter it for those who, who haven't come across you? Yeah, so actually, and that's really good that customers don't know us because we are the leading B2B white label player in the DACH region and we offer 60% um, of the most popular payment methods in the DACH region, and that is open invoice, direct debit, installment, and prepayment. And with that, we actually help big online sellers to optimize their checkout conversion and whilst giving them 100% guarantee for their payment. And therefore, none of my friends, for example, knows RatePay, despite the fact that they have paid with RatePay in the past, but if we do our job very well, 
and customers don't know us. Fantastic. And uh, I mean, you became the CEO last September um, at a time when probably a lot of, lot of your uh, team members are or have been working from home and we're still working from home mostly. So how, how do you actually build a relationship, introduce yourself to the team, which is quite big, obviously, at RatePay, when, you, when you're not in day-to-day -day contact? Yeah, that was... So I, I was a little bit wary of that start because I'm usually someone who works very well with direct interaction and I'm a I'm a people person and I was a little bit lucky that I joined in September when at least very few people but some were in the office and I was lucky to be able to meet part of the teams at least so by now I've met about 10 to 15 percent of the whole workforce which is obviously nothing compared to how this should usually work but of course this all had to happen virtually so my onboarding happened virtually and I I'm in constant calls all the time so we do all the team meetings we do all the one-to-ones coffee, check-ins, chat meetings, everything is, is virtual. So it took a little, maybe a little bit longer to get to know the team and to have a really deep understanding of who is doing what and who are the key people in the organization than as if I would have been able to just walk by their desks and talk to them directly. So up until October, I spent a few days per week in the office, but since then, everyone is pretty much at home. So these days I'm maybe one, two days per week in the office, but it's empty. It's just the management team who is there. I've spoken to lots of people recently about um, remote work and onboarding remotely, and there are definitely ups and downs to it in terms of um, you actually have to be much more prepared and have all the documents ready and every meeting has an agenda and a purpose. So there's no wasted time, which can actually be quite efficient. On the downside, you really miss that kind of personal touch and they're getting to know people and meeting at the coffee machine, for example, which also really like contributes to um, developing those professional relationships in the workplace. Um, do you have any techniques or ways that you've gone about really trying to connect with people remotely and also to get them to understand who you are as a person and not just, you know, what you've done professionally for the last 10 years or so? Yeah, in, I mean... The, the key is, whether you do this virtually or in person, is to speak the language of your respective counterpart. So different people communicate differently and they are in different stages or in different places right now. And in the end, with the right amount of empathy and feeling, I think you can also make this work very well over video, for example. So I deliberately reached out in my onboarding to um, a long list of people that I wanted to meet and get to know. And the rest I'm doing via regular Q&A sessions and team meetings. So I'm regularly visiting all the different teams and people can ask me any sort of question, not only professionally, but, but also private questions. And I think that helps. So We haven't met in person here, but I'm more of a Nordic person. So if um, if 
if I come across in meetings, I'm I'm sometimes a little bit or appear a little bit distant. And this sometimes is even easier if you do it virtually because uh, over video, it's a, it's a different setup. How large is the team at RatePay at the moment? And is everyone based in Berlin? It's 270 people in total. And, and that's a very good question because originally the whole culture at RatePay was very much about everyone being in the office, people talking to each other in person. And of course, it was a challenge in keeping up that culture with everyone working remote. And what we have changed quite a bit is also with the recent hirings that we've done is we've deliberately also hired people who don't live in Berlin. Mm-hmm. So now um, we we hire across uh, Germany and we also allow everyone working in the mobile office, not from Berlin, but from wherever they are. So they are allowed uh, certain weeks per month to work from if they have a flat in France or Spain to work from there. So as long as everyone is doing their job, I really don't care where people sit. And it works astonishingly well. The thing that's that has changed a little bit is we are all more in meetings. It's all because typically you, you then book something or a half an hour or 15 minutes with someone so you don't have these spontaneously five-minute check-in at the desk meetings. So it's it's more meetings than before, but it works uh, reasonably well. I thought it would be a lot worse, and I'm actually quite content because productivity is really, really good still at the moment. The only challenge is how to keep everyone healthy, and especially, so our average age at RatePay is 35 years, but we have a a vast spread of young people and also people being way over 50. So they all need different things. And working from home or in a remote resetting means different things for them. So especially our younger colleagues are increasingly getting unnerved by having to work from home all the time. So um, we try to find ways of making everyone happy. What are those ways to make everyone happy? It comes with... Um, certain or different benefits for different groups and with reaching out differently for different groups. So, for example, parents these days, they have a different, so we don't have classical nine to five working hours any longer. It's totally flexible. So, I mean, everyone who has kids has to do homeschooling at home. So, therefore, the day changes. And the younger people who sit by themselves alone and are isolated, that's eventually you you get depressed. So we have to find ways to enable social interaction, even if it's not necessarily in the office, but you can do this virtually. So we do even drinks in the evening, there are sports sessions together over teams. So we do different ways try our best really to to keep everyone healthy and in good spirit. It's very interesting because you really do right now have to look after some very different uh, groups of people, um, especially when you talk about, you know, parents, for example, whose challenges right now are very, very different and might, you know, you know, impact their traditional nine to five schedule. And I guess that's where this model of the hybrid office or, you know, the future of work looks slightly different and very flexible um, to accommodate these kinds of new structures popping up. How does that kind of impact the work that you guys are doing? Does it become more asynchronous communication? So more through email 
or is it more instant communication? Like how have you seen those kinds of types of communication change because people are no longer working the exact same office hours and times? One very interesting finding is actually there isn't so much email communication at RatePay. So in my previous life, I had more than 300 emails per day. For example, everything was just email. And here it's a lot, lot less. And we do a lot via Teams. So instant uh, informal communication happens chat-like over Microsoft Teams. And you can also call people briefly there without necessarily having to do a certain meeting. And then there are certain forums that are institutionalized, like an all-hands or a big team meeting where you have a certain hour in your calendar and then ideally... Uh, people should join. So it's very, very different and very individual, I would also say. I've also got some people who communicate over WhatsApp. So we also do WhatsApp in certain things. Yeah, it's 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 very different. And then we experience all these new ways of if we do brainstorming sessions virtually because there isn't a, a whiteboard in, in each room where you can scribble on, but they're great digital tools that we all use successfully. We've also done a couple of unconfering sessions already, which work really well uh, virtually over video. Yeah, that, that that's fascinating. And how, how would you describe, in, in light of all of this, how would you describe your communication style as a CEO? I think key to me is authenticity. So, um, and I mean, in the end, communication starts with being a good listener and really getting into a dialogue. Communication should never be one way only. So for me, it's, and everything, it's also not just communications, but also leadership. It's all about authenticity. And then with regards to comms, it's also about being very transparent and clear and at eye level with a respective counterpart. And I think where in the end, Um, because I already um, spoke a bit about that I think it's important that you need to speak the different languages of your counterpart. So you typically, you have a different conversation, whether you talk to an engineer versus a financial analyst versus a salesperson, that I mean with, with different languages. And then what does it boil down to? And that's empathy. And I think, yeah, this applies to both internal and external communication. That's not just internal. That's such a great point. Um, How exactly would you go about communicating with someone um, who doesn't speak your language, though? Or like, what are your tips for kind of, um, you know, being empathetic and maybe trying to understand it from a different perspective? Because I think that can be a challenge for quite a number of people. Yeah. So... I don't know, a couple of years ago, I had a really great coach and she explained to me a way of moving away from your own perspective and deliberately um, putting on the head of your respective counterpart and putting yourself into his or her shoe. And on good days, and actually most days, I can do this. I deliberately try to do that. And when I have a feeling that I can't reach someone, that's a difficult conversation. I really embrace this and try to put myself into the other shoe and try to understand what's driving that person. Where is he or she triggered? Where is the issue lying? What does he or she want? Um, What do they need? 
and then that helps me in in yeah boiling it down to the heart or to the elephant that might be in the room it sounds like you're very intentional about your communications and has there been a trigger or uh, an event in in your life where you say okay i'm you know i'm, I'm growing as a professional as a person so now now need to take this way more seriously or was it more of a continuous uh, growth process i think it's a continuous growth process so i was always very i'm a how do you say it a stomach person so i'm not overly analytical and learn things and then try to do them it, it they just come but over the years of my career with different coachings and trainings that i've had i've understood this more and more what it comes down to and i'm now able to talk about it what it is that i might have always done without knowing it that I was doing it yeah but now I know okay this is how I'm doing it so it doesn't come intentional it comes naturally but I had a I had a big learning how learning mode and that was when I arrived at Brands for Friends and my start at Brands for Friends as a CEO was super difficult because I came into that role with the very clear expectation that I was to restructure the company and even ideally yesterday than tomorrow. And that means that upon arrival, I immediately had to terminate a significant percentage of employees without knowing all of them and, and without actually knowing the business yet in full detail. And I was very anxious and also afraid to be labeled as a bad or a mean leader and that everyone hated me. So what I did was, I mean, I, I just had to do the restructuring things. So this is what you, you do when you are a manager at a certain level. You, you have to take decisions that are for the greater good of the company. But I spent a lot of time with every single team again and again, over and over, and with key people in the organization and communicated very transparent the reason why we were doing this, why it was necessary, and explaining to everyone the big full picture. No lies, no secrets, nothing. And what I'm my leadership style is is also I'm I have a very high level of empathy. And that obviously came through and and together with this empathy um, and this you can with this direct way of communications the team and the, the the workforce continuously understood why this had to happen and what astonished me was that trust was built and shortly after that we had um, our half yearly employee satisfaction survey coming up We used Glint at that time. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster because all scores will go down to the seller. And very interestingly enough, it went up by a significant amount of points. And this was like two weeks after I had done this restructuring exercise. And it went upwards and it led to the fact that Brands for Friends at that time was on a global level within eBay because it was still an eBay company back then, was regarded as the island of happiness despite that. And my key learning then was, okay, this was due to the full honesty and the authenticity in the way I had communicated that this actually helped to build trust 
So my learning out of this was communication is a really great possibility to build trust. Risk, of course, is that you can destroy everything if you do it wrongly, if you don't do it right. Uh, interesting. I mean, the stakes couldn't be higher, right? In, in such a situation that comes down to communications, whether it turns out to be disaster, where everyone is unhappy and the good people leave and maybe the, the end of the company is near, or if you turn it into an opportunity where you keep the best people and even motivate them and build trust. And as, as we all know, companies travel at the speed of trust. There's one topic that I did want to talk about, which is also really cool about rate pay, is that when you look at the management, I think out of the eight leaders on board, there's like six women and two men, which is quite unusual for a lot of companies in Germany, but also particularly in the finance sector. Um, and I wonder if you could just elaborate a little bit on that, if it was intentional or it just came to be um, and how the management actually interacts together. Yeah. So... I mean, Miriam, um, you you have met Miriam and she has very, very strong communication skills and a very big visibility as a woman in payment and tech. And this certainly had an effect and motivated others to follow. However, in the end, it then also comes down whether you, uh, whether you decide yourself in order to hire women. And um, for me... As a person, I deliberately decided a couple of years ago that I want to support women and to help them rise. And this is why when I take decisions, hiring decisions, I always look at are the people equally skilled and experienced for the role? And then if you have a man and a woman and everything aside is the same, then I tend to choose the woman until I have a diverse team. So over diversity, so having 100% women also can't be it. Yeah. So I want a full diverse team and diversity obviously goes far beyond just gender diversity. So it needs to be cultural, international with diverse strengths, religions, LGBT and so forth. And I think there at RatePay, we can be even more diverse. So we have now people from 30 countries. But if I compare this, Lena, with uh, your company, for example, you are way more international than we are. And this whole hybrid setup now where people, where it's okay to also work from home, allows us, of course, to take also more diverse hiring decisions and become more international. That's a really great point. When you and the leadership team are also very visible online, you know, on social media, on LinkedIn, uh, I think Clubhouse, you know, you're active now. So um, how important is the, the personal branding or the uh, sort of awareness aspect to you and the company? Because you mentioned in the beginning that RatePay itself, well, you don't have to know us. It's okay if you use us and you, you, you're pleased with the service. But you, you and the leadership team are obviously quite visible, which is clearly a good thing. But but how do you explain that discrepancy or what's what's the reason for it? Actually, it, it, this was the way how RatePay did marketing in the early days. So now being 11 years old, it all the way also how uh, customer acquisition um, went was through a big personal network and a very strong presence of the leadership team. So that's a natural one for RatePay. And I think it's very important if you are in the B2B space and not in the, in the B2C space that you uh, do a lot 
in social media. And what we, I mean, we and RatePay additionally to our management team or me becoming a social CEO where I communicate a lot about RatePay everywhere I can, we have a strong LinkedIn channel and, and a blog where we regularly um, share important updates. We post white papers and, and stories and really write a lot of content to keep everyone informed. So for example, our our latest blog article is about a recent study that we did with two and a half thousand panelists where we compared a white label checkout versus a branded checkout approach. And out of that panel came that these customers preferred by far the white label checkout to the branded checkout. And things like that are obviously very good for our business and we talk about it and, and we post it. But I think that's not enough. We have to do more about that and we will going forward also rely upon external help and we will employ a marketing agency to really do the full marketing mix not just social but this also standard marketing mix channels going forward in in order to increase growth so i guess growth is uh, big on the horizon for you guys in 2021 huge if you yeah, could make huge if you could maybe give one piece of advice to you know ceos people working from home Anyone that you wanted to give advice to right now, what would it be? Keep up the spirits. So, no, I, I so um, I have quite a few people in my surroundings who develop certain forms of depression, and I find that very positive. So, I mean, of course, the situation is is very hard. If if you are used to having strong social and personal interactions, that's nightmare for you but I think we should all try to find the positive things and uh, both at work and in, in private and focus on that and that and gain strength from that and, and keep up these positive feelings and spirits in order to continue this because this year will be a marathon for all of us it won't change overnight the situation and I think we will never go back to where we were before it will be a hybrid going forward. Yeah, I think you're right. And that probably is true for almost every sector. What do you think will happen to e-commerce this year? I mean, it shot through the roof last year. Is that going to continue or is there saturation in the market? Uh, the strong growth will continue. Obviously, there will be some lapping. So now starting March, all the big online merchants will lap the strong growth rates from last year, but Corona isn't over and the shift from offline to online will continue. And I mean, you see it, all the big internet giants and the, the, the big merchants, when they, um, when they talk about their figures, figures, it's stellar. And that will continue. And of course, payment companies like us, we profit from that as well. So we are also a, a Corona winner. Hmm. What's what's the biggest challenge? And if you're in this sort of high growth environment, certainly there are challenges. Yeah, there are huge challenges. So for us, it's um, being able to scale at this level. So we are spending a lot of time and I'm focusing a lot of my time in working with the team to setting us up for major long term scale, because with manual non automated processes, we won't be able to 
keep up. So we have to focus on automating. And for us, the, we will have continuously strong growth for the next years, especially in, in payments. There's so much happening and the dynamics is, are, are so strong. So we all have to make our homeworks because comp there's great competition. And competition is always good because it leads to the fact that we all have to go out of our comfort zone, look where our USP is, improve our product and become better every day. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I, I suppose that you also have to find the right caliber of talent. And, and are you using communications, your personal branding, is it your LinkedIn channel, et cetera, to attract the right kind of uh, talent? Is there a deliberate employer branding approach here? Yeah. So the... Since my arrival, I hired two senior peoples into the management team, a new CCO and a new chief risk and data officer, and they all came through network. Mm -hmm. So it's all writing, communicating, talking to people. And it's it, this is an interesting thing because I think 10 years ago, you would have only done this via headhunters. But these days, it's all about network. Yeah. I guess everything is really changing right now. Yeah, and therefore communication. So if you have a great network, but you are st stupid in your ways of communication, it doesn't really help you. So it has to be both. Yeah, for sure. Is there any, any particular tool or channel that works particularly well for you at the moment? For me, it's, uh, it's LinkedIn. So I wasn't overly active on LinkedIn during my time at Brands for Friends. And I am now. And... I see, you see it every day. It's if you do this right, and if you if you do smart things and communicate regularly and have value added in your comms, mm -hmm. you should never talk about stupid things that nobody is interested in. But you should have interesting. If you talk about interesting things, then that's a very very good lever to grow your network. That's really great advice. Nina, I wanted to thank you so much for speaking to us today. It's been a really, really insightful conversation and looking forward to see where rate pay goes next. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Nina. Much appreciated. And thank you for listening. If you're interested to learn more about personal branding, about communications, maybe check out my latest book, Unignorable. You can find it on Amazon or go to oliverhouse.com to you know, read my blog or you know, subscribe. There are lots of free resources there if you're interested in getting into the media, launching a podcast, writing a bestseller and so on. Thank you, everyone, and hope to see you next week. <laughs>